Good morning. Happy New Year to everybody. Welcome to Grace. Okay, so in the spirit of the new year, we're going to start with a little video clip. So if we could go ahead and roll that, guys. Um. I haven't thought about it yet, but uh, but now you've got me thinking about it. So if it, if anyone comes to me, I'll come back. I have to think of something. Last year it was like cut out coffee, and that didn't work. It's like when you join a gym. Same as with a New Year's resolution. Lasts like two weeks. Has to be a has to be a year long resolution. Can't just be this one day resolution. I'm gonna try and do more yoga. I'm really into yoga right now. Actually, once I started doing it, I literally felt just like more fluid and flexible and good. Here's resolutions: um, to drink more water and uh, and and be healthy and and spend more time with my family. I'd like to get Ryan Reynolds' body. I'm close. I mean, I'm literally like a week away. I just say I'm going to work out more. I think everyone does that. January is always so packed at the gym, and then everyone trickles away. Oh, gosh. Um, I have a lot. I, I make a list every year, and I kind of I try to check them off, and the ones I don't get to, I move for the next year. And, you know, I, I think um, I'm always trying to improve myself. <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys feel uh, a little bit like Jason Siegel there in that clip. When you think about New Year's resolutions, you're just kind of like, uh, 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 you know, or, or maybe you're kind of like, you know, I set this resolution and then, you know, it lasts a couple weeks or, you know, whatever. And then before I know it, it didn't, it wasn't really worth much. I don't know if that's how it is for you. Uh, often that's how it is for me. I will set a resolution and like a few weeks later, I can't even remember what my resolution was. Um, so I, I just I kind of want to do a little interactive thing in the beginning here, and you got to be willing to kind of have fun at your own expense. So if you're willing to do that, um, then this this exercise is for you. So uh, is anybody willing to admit, uh, with a show of your hand being raised, um, that you like didn't even make uh, a two two weeks on a New Year's resolution? Some some somewhere in your past, like you blew it within the first two weeks. Show of hands. Anybody? Okay. So we have this is pretty good. You'll feel good. Look around. Keep your hands up. This is like therapy right here. Okay, so, so you know, this is a shared type of a deal. Um, while we're doing this, can I get one of the sound guys? I need a, I need a little clip back here. Um, I just need somebody's hands back here. That sounded weird, but I just, yeah. Jose, come on out now. All right. Um, okay, so now, how many of you guys, like, you didn't last one full week with your resolution? It was, it was done within one week. Okay, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now, how about, how about, you didn't even make it till January 3rd. You didn't even get 48 hours. Hands up. Be proud of this. This is good. This is good. Okay, we're in church. It's confession time. All right. How many of you didn't even, okay, didn't even make it through until lunch on January 1st? Noontime, January 1st. We have one young lady back here in the back. Is it appropriate to share what the resolution was? What, she wasn't going to curse? And I bet there was somebody in your life that was responsible for the breaking of that. <laughs> all right. All right. Very good. Um, you know, I, I, often, uh, <laughs> I often do that. We can kind of see in the room that we've, we've all been there, done that. You know, I didn't make any resolutions last year, but I did make a resolution um, about, oh, thank you, man. This is, this is like good stuff right here. Um, I did make a resolution back in September. 
And my resolution had to do with my um, one of the big loves of my life. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, and I am a huge fan, for better or for worse, of this team right here, the Cincinnati Bengals, the football team. Yeah, baby. A lot of Steelers fans rooting for the Bengals today, but anyway, that's a different story altogether. Uh, so I resolved this, this past September that um, I was not going to subscribe to the NFL Sunday ticket through DirecTV. It's a ton of money, and, um, and I, that would mean that I couldn't get to watch my beloved Bengals play on Sundays. They see, like, with the, with the whole NFL lockout, and they had, they had, like, a whole new offensive system and offensive coaches, and they had a new quarterback and a new wide receiver. So everything was lining up for a total debacle, okay? And there have been many debacles in Cincinnati Bengals history, so this is nothing new. But this year, particularly, we were predicted to be, like, the, the worst team in the league. And, and you know what I said? I'm like, this is crazy. I, I, I'm not going to subject myself or my family to this kind of misery again. It's not just three hours from, like, one to four on a Sunday. But then I'm, like, miserable. I'm depressed. You know, it's a good thing my resolution wouldn't be cursed, you know, not to curse, because who knows what would happen, you know, after the game. And so I just said, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. So I said, I'm calling DirecTV. I'm canceling my Sunday ticket. That was my resolution. I said, my resolution is I will not subject myself to misery this year. I'm not going to follow the Bengals. So um, in one sense, I held true to my resolution, and I did not, uh, I, I did not resubscribe to the, to the Sunday ticket. But I found myself, as we got to the very first game, the first Sunday in September, I couldn't help it, and I started, like, shaking, you know, and I, and I was just like, I, I got to see. So I found out that with my, with my smartphone here, that what you can do is you can actually download a free app, the, the, like a radio app, and then you can catch the, the radio feed out of Cincinnati totally for free. It's beautiful. So um, I actually found myself um, worse than I've ever been before. Uh, the way you know you're addicted to something is, is actually, it's not while you have it, it's when it's been taken away. That's, that's when you can truly see your addiction, right? And so what I found was I, I'm so addicted, and now I can listen to the pregame, the postgame. I mean, I can listen to all week long them talking about stuff, and so I totally blew it. I, I, I was miserable with my resolution um, this, this past September. And so um, anyway, we're going to talk about resolutions today, and we're going to talk about, you know, is, is this really all, all there is? You know, you looked at that clip up on the screen uh, I mean, is it just kind of like, hey, we need to drink more water and, and, and this sort of stuff? Or, or is there something more to this thing? Um, now, the Bible doesn't tell us that we are supposed to make a resolution on New Year's. Uh, it's not a biblical thing. But it does give us the opportunity at the beginning of a new year to kind of say, okay, well, what, what should this year look like? And, and what might God have to say about that? And so what we're going to do today is... Um, we're going to check out uh, 1 Chronicles 17. And if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to 1 Chronicles 17. You'll see uh, the verses on the back of your outline as well. Um, one resolution that I would encourage you to do, kind of in, you know, when you come to church each Sunday, is get in the habit of bringing your Bible here. Uh, we're going to start trekking through the book of Acts in a few weeks. And uh, it's just a great habit to get into and kind of know where your Bible is in your house. It's a great way to, to give yourself a little bit more uh, opportunity or increase the odds you might actually read it. So um, we are going to look this morning at 1 Chronicles 17. The same story is seen in 2 Samuel 7. Um, But this is the story of King David. And King David actually makes a resolution. It's not a New Year's resolution, but he makes a resolution. And if you were one of those folks that had your hand up uh, for a very short-lived resolution, King David, I think, will probably beat you on this one because this was an extremely short-lived resolution 
for King David. And so uh, that's where we're going to jump in. First Chronicles 17. We're going to start in verse 1. Before we do, would you guys join me for a word of prayer? Lord God, um, we're here this morning, uh, this first day of 2012. Uh, we're here to meet with you. We're here to hear from you. Uh, God, as we open up your word, we pray that you would speak to each one of us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're just going to jump right in. First Chronicles 17, verse 1. It says, after David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Now, let me just stop right there and give you guys a little bit of background what's going on here. So David is the king of Israel. This is about 1,000 B.C. or so. And so basically Israel has been you know, dealing with all these enemies and trying to protect itself and all this stuff, and they're experiencing a brief time of peace. And so David is kind of like settling into to his palace, and then he says to Nathan, who is this prophet, and there were these prophets back then who were really tuned in, really dialed in to, to God, and we were able to hear from God really well. And so he turns to Nathan, this prophet, and he says to Nathan, okay, so I'm in this beautiful, ornate, you know, palace, and, and then the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is, is sitting under this tent. Now you might be like, what in the world is an Ark of the Covenant of the Lord? Okay, well, let me explain what that is. I think we've actually got a, a picture we can put up on the, on the screen here. It's kind of hard to see, but you, you kind of get, get the idea. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is actually described in great detail in Exodus chapter 25. This isn't something that kind of making up. You can actually read about it in the Bible. It's described uh, very particularly. And so it's about a four-foot by two-foot by two-foot chest, wooden chest, that is then overlaid with gold. And inside of this chest, they would keep these two stone tablets, very significant tablets that had written what on them? Who would know? Who knows? The Ten Commandments, okay? So big, big deal. This is where God really revealed himself to the, the Jewish people. And so the Ten Commandments on these two big stone tablets would be sitting inside of this Ark of the Covenant. And then up on top, you have these uh, cherubim, these, these, these figures that are basically um, in, in a reverent state toward God. And, and basically, God's presence then dwelt right on top of the chest. And so when, when one of the leaders of Israel would, would want to meet with God, want to spend time really trying to hear from God, they would come and they would spend time you know, bowing before where, the, where God's presence was at this Ark of the Covenant. And so when the Israelites were in Egypt and they were in slavery to the Egyptians, this Ark of the Covenant actually sat inside something called a tabernacle, which was like this beautiful sanctuary. And that is where that Ark of the Covenant resided. But when the, the Jewish people left Egypt, when they had, they had exodus from, from Egypt, um, the Ark of the Covenant was taken and they, they took it with them, and, and you had four people who would carry it on those, on those poles right there. And it was then fully portable as they journeyed through the wilderness and, uh, and then made their way ultimately into the, the promised land. And so during that time, the Ark of the Covenant would just sit under a tent because, you know, they would just be constantly moving from place to place. And so what David is saying is now he's nicely settled in this beautiful palace fit for a king. And he looks over and he can't help but kind of feel bad that, 
Here is the, the Ark of the Covenant. You know, here's God's presence you know, with his people. And it's just sitting here under this mere tent. And so basically, although it doesn't state it um, explicitly, what's implied here is God's, or David's making this resolution. He's basically turning to Nathan. And, and in so many words, he's basically saying, I'm resolving to build something beautiful for God. I'm going to build God a, a beautiful temple where you know, th- that would be a great way to honor God. And it says in verse 2 that, that the prophet Nathan replies back to David, doesn't really give it much thought, but just said to David, whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. Seemed like a good idea. David is a man who's really you know, wanting to praise and glorify God, so Nathan gives him the thumbs up. Check this out. Verse 3, but that night the word of God came to Nathan, saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So, very interesting. So God, not in a kind of an angry way, not in a spiteful way, but very firmly, God here is saying to Nathan, which ultimately is going to be passed on to David, basically, we're not doing it your way, David. I'm, I'm totally rejecting your resolution that you've set up. So interesting. So, so David gets the big, gets the big reject, okay? But then it goes on. God's not finished speaking. Let's look at verse 7. So God continues. Now then. Tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. Now, if you're not familiar with David, King David was, uh, King David, when he started out, he came from very humble beginnings. He was actually just uh, a shepherd boy, and he was actually the youngest of all of his brothers, a very unlikely leader. And basically, God is just reminding David here of, I have, I have taken you from very humble beginnings, and I have appointed you king over my people. God goes on in verse 8. He says, I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. So what God is doing here is saying, okay, David, we're not doing it your way, okay? Your resolution, we're, we're, we're not doing it that way. But then he goes on to remind David of how good he's been to him in his life. And then he, God launches into this whole list of things that he's going to do for David and for the people of Israel. Check out all these statements. See how many of them you, you pick up that says, I will. God just declaring he's going to do all this stuff. Check this out. He says, now I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own, own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. I will also subdue all your enemies. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. Now, I want to stop right there. Do you see how interesting that is? So here's David, and he is resolved to build a house for God. And God turns around and says, no, 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 you're not building a house for you. In fact, I'm going to build a house for you. And then he goes on to talk about what this is going to look like, because God is about to blow David's mind in how he's going to build a house for him. He says this, verse 11, When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, 
I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. Now, who is this son that's going to succeed David and is going to ultimately build God's house? Who knows? It's Solomon, okay? So God is basically saying one of your sons, and he's referring to Solomon here, is going to be the one who's going to build this beautiful house of God. But this is where it gets really interesting, okay? And this is where the Bible goes kind of, I mean, it gets really deep and it gets really, really cool. Because in these next couple of verses, what's happening here is that God is speaking and he's referring both to Solomon and also he is referring to a Messiah. He is referring, ultimately, we believe as Christians, he's referring to Jesus Christ here. And so just check this out. The next verse, verse 13 He says, I, God speaking, he says, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now, back then, that was that was basically a way of expressing God's expressing that he's going to have this really cool, close relationship with Solomon. Like like he and Solomon, I mean, it's just going to be awesome. It's going to be this vibrant, close relationship between God and Solomon. But these words also, when I look at them, it kind of reminds me of Jesus. You talk, this father-son reference thing. Well, interestingly enough, if you open your Bible to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, and you look at Hebrews uh, 1, it, it's talking about Jesus Christ, and he's actually the son of God. And it's making this case that Jesus is like higher than the angels and the most superior one, and Jesus is actually God. And in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 1, it references this verse. It references the words that we just read. I will be his father and he will be my son, making the case that Jesus Christ is actually the son of God. It goes on, verse 13. God says, I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. Now, who knows who King David's predecessor was? King Saul. King Saul was the king who made some pretty bad decisions, some pretty bad choices, um, and so, you know, he, 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 really, he really blew it. So he's saying, I will never take my love away from Solomon as I took it away from Saul. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. And this is where you really see the messianic prophecy right here. His throne will be established forever. And that word forever, this, this promise that's associated with, with David's line, you know, through, through David, through Solomon... That God's throne will be established forever. His kingdom will be established forever. This, for the Jewish people, this was one of the foundational things, the foundational verses for their hope and expectation in a Messiah who was going to come and ultimately that Israel was going to be delivered. And Israel was going to be you know, given this status as the greatest nation, as God's you know, chosen nation. And so the Jewish people looked on this verse and others, and they believed that the Messiah was going to come through King David's line. This, as Christians, um, you know, th- this is what we look, we look back at now, and we say, well, this makes sense. Because, you see, Jesus Christ was a descendant of King David. And so when we look at this thing, and we, we see places in Scripture where it refers to God not only as the Son, not only to Jesus as the Son of God, but the Son of Man and even the Son of David, this helps us to point back 
um, to Jesus Christ being the fulfillment of these prophecies about the one who was to come. Now, Israel, the, the nation of Israel, believed that this, that this redemption, that this salvation would kind of be this, this great, powerful ruler who would come and would ultimately just reign over and, like, evil would be destroyed and, and it would just be amazing. But, but basically the way that God was going to fulfill this was a totally different way where Jesus Christ would come and he would fulfill this prophecy by by not kind of being this, this valiant warrior-type figure who would come and, like, eradicate, uh, you know, and put down all the evil in the world the way we might think we'd like him to, but instead came and died on a cross um, to put an end to sin ultimately and to put an end to death, that if we believed in him, that we would have victory over death the way that he did. So, so God says all this stuff, okay? And then it says in verse 15, that Nathan went back and he reported to King David all the words of this entire revelation that God had spoken. And then it says that King David went in and he sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you've brought me this far? Basically, David is completely humbled by what God has said. And in the next few verses, verses 17 through 22, which we're not going to look at in detail, but basically in, in those next few verses, David just, just pours out gratefulness to God. He just says, God, you're so awesome. And he just praising God for what God's going to do and all that God has done in his life. And he is just, he is just wow, thank you so much, God. You are awesome. And then we're going to, and this is where I really want us to anchor and spend uh, the, the next few minutes in talking about application is in verses 23 and 24. So then David just said, oh, God, you're so awesome. Thank you. You're so great. You know, look at all that you've done for, for me and for, for my people. And then David turns in verse 23 and he says, and now, Lord, let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever. Do as you promised so that it will be established and so that your name will be great forever. And basically, David here says, okay, God, you know, I was all excited about building a house for you. I thought that's something that would be awesome and a way to, to glorify you. But obviously that's not the way that you want things to go. So David's like, I'm okay with that. God, uh, you just kind of, I'm breaking my resolution. I just, I just made the resolution, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break that resolution, and I'm going to make a new resolution, God. And, and I resolve right now that I will not build a house for you, because that's basically what you're telling me. I resolve not to build your house. And I want you to catch these two words that are found in verse 24. So that, okay? Those words, so that, are so big. Okay, this, this is the whole crux of, of, of where I want us to, to, to really focus for these last few moments. So basically, David is saying, I want it to go your way. I'm resolved not to build this house so that your name will be great, so that you will get the glory. And, you know, you might be thinking, well, okay, um, you know, David this would be a pretty cool deal. I mean, David wanted to do this thing, and basically God's like, no, no, you, I'm, just, I'm going to tell you, just keep your hands off of it, and I'm going to make your name great, David, and, and I'm going to do all this great stuff for you and the people that you're leading. Um, I actually think that this might have been a little bit tough for David um, because you have to understand, uh, David is like, 
I mean, you talk about type A people. He, he is like type A on steroids kind of a personality, okay? This is a, this is a, a guy who just as a young teenage boy uh, heard about this Philistine giant Goliath who was, who was just this ruthless oppressor of the Israelites. And basically he went out and got a slingshot and took some stones and he went toe-to-toe with that giant. I mean, this, this is a take-charge kind of leader, okay? Very ambitious, loved God. I mean, this, this guy would have been like a classic Washingtonian, okay? I mean, watch out for him in rush hour traffic because David would have just, would have just gone after it. And, and here's David. He loves God, loves God, wants to honor and glorify God. And he's sitting there in this beautiful palace. And here's God's, you know, Ark of the Covenant is just sitting under this little tent. And so that's tough for David. I mean, you know, there's got to be some guilt there that he's feeling about that whole deal, wanting to go out and and do something great to glorify God. And and I wonder if people might have come by, you know, after this came to pass, and David basically said, okay, I'll leave leave it in the tent. God, you know, that's, that's cool. That's what you said. If maybe other people kind of, we're wondering about that, and we're asking David why he, didn't, why he wasn't building something, you know, doing something great for God. So I don't know that it would have been quite so easy. But here's the thing. Here's why David, you know, David doesn't say David plowed forward and he just went ahead and built the house for God anyway because that's what a good king should do, and, and he wanted to kind of leave a legacy of his own, you know, make sure that, that you know, God's, God was given the, the, the proper kind of respect that God deserved. No, he didn't. He, he, he took his hands off of it. And what made this possible for David was David wasn't so bound to seeing his resolution come to pass. You know, he had just declared, basically, I'm going to build this house for God. He wasn't as focused on the resolution itself as the so that. That was what David was really all about. He ultimately just wanted to see this house built so that God would be glorified. Okay? And God basically said, no, different plan. And he said, okay, I resolved that the house doesn't be built so that you would be glorified, God. The, the power in this thing is in the so that. So maybe you're here this morning and, you know, you're, you, the whole resolution thing, that's just like a big disconnect for you. Like it's just a, it's a big struggle for you and, and you struggle maybe to get motivated to even make resolutions or you really struggle to keep those resolutions. Well, one of the things we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, and it's this difficult concept for many of us, uh, to remember is that actually, and, and this is not something that you're going to kind of hear, you know, watching TV or just kind of, you know, casually on the street. You're not ever going to hear this, okay? But the reality is what the Bible says is we don't exist for ourselves. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. We actually exist for God's glory. That's why we were made. That's why we were created. That's what we were made to do. We were created for God's glory. And so um, give me give you a verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says, So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do in your life, do it for the glory of God. I got another one for you. It's in 2 Thessalonians 1.12. This is Paul's, the Apostle Paul. It's his second letter to the church in Thessalonica. And um, 
basically in this second letter, he's writing to them in the beginning, and he's just encouraging this church and this group of Christians who are gathered together, just like we're gathered together in this room right now. And he's, he writes this letter to them. And basically what he says in the beginning of his letter in Second Thessalonians is he's, he's saying, we're praying for you guys. We're praying that you would be all that God wants you to be, that you would live to your full potential, that you, know, you would just do everything that God has made you to do. And that's what he says going up to verse 11. And then on the heels of that prayer that he prays for them, in verse 12, he tells them why he prays that prayer for them. Verse 12, we pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. The so that is so critical as we think about our resolutions. The fact that ultimately we don't resolve to do this stuff just for ourselves. You know, you, you, might, you might have a resolution and think, well, I just, I just really need to do this so I'll feel better about myself. That's great. That's totally great. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? But that's ultimately not where the power is. That's not going to help you to stick with that resolution and be convicted and determined to see it through. That, they're, they're, that, that's a great thing, but that's not going to get you there. If you're making a resolution just to get somebody off your back so that they'll stop nagging you, okay, that, that's ultimately, there's, there's not a lot of power in that type of a resolution either. The power in the resolution is when you recognize so that, okay? And, and remembering that ultimately we exist for the glory of God. So here's what I want to ask you. When you think about 2012, I know some of you here have made resolutions. Okay, you, you've already got a few things in your mind. You're a resolution type of person, and so you've got some stuff that you've already thought about. Okay? If you think about your resolution, what is the so that? Every resolution, at the end of the resolution, there's a so that. And I want you to try and dig a little bit deeper than, hey, so that I'll just you know, feel a little bit better about myself or so that you know, so-and-so will stop giving me a hard time about this bad habit or about this thing that I'm doing and will get off my case. The so that has to do with you're doing this ultimately for God. Let me, give you, let me just give you an example. Okay? Anybody know what the number one, by far and away, uh, most popular New Year's resolution is? Just shout it out. Yeah, it's, it's this combination of losing weight, exercising. It's basically under the umbrella of getting in shape, okay? And it's not hard to figure out why this is the number one thing, right? And we, we've just come through Thanksgiving that just leads right into Christmas, and it's just an all-out blowout affair, right? And so we, we kind of limp into January, and we're like, oh my God, this is crazy, you know? And, and you know, maybe, maybe you just you just eat like therapeutically when you're around family, you know, because it's just like you're just trying to take your mind off all the dysfunction and the chaos and whatever. I don't know what it is, but man, we just go nuts, you know, around Christmas time. You know, we're celebrating so great. Um, and I don't know if you have a problem like I do, but, but my problem is that my wife's family, like they come, they're like straight Italian line. And it is crazy, you guys. Like I had no idea before I married into my wife's family, like just how how nuts the, the whole Italian thing. I mean, like, the way that they do meals is crazy. You know, they, they'll serve you a whole, my, my, my mother-in-law and then her mother, God rest her soul, they'll serve you whole entrees 
like whole, it's like dinner. You know, you, you sit down, you have appetizers, then you have, you think you're done, you have dinner. And then there's a, that was, no, that was just the pasta course. Then you have like the meat course, and there's another course. So I, I just, I get into this thing, man. I, I can't help myself. I, I don't know, it's anybody else just, you can't help yourself. The food's there, you just gotta go. You know, so, so, um, you know, we, we kind of get to this place where we're like, oh my goodness, I have got to make, you know, I've got to make a resolution. I need to, I need to, you know, man, I've got to do something about this weight that I just picked up. And so let's say your resolution is I'm going to get in shape in 2012, okay? So just as an example, we're going to try and attach a so that to it. So I'm going to try and get in better shape in 2012. My so that is not just, oh, you know, so that because I, I just feel, you know, just kind of sluggish and I feel just, you know, just like I just need to kind of tune up a little bit. That, that's not really what your so that is. Okay, that's not gonna. That's not gonna get you there. It's not because somebody was nagging you, saying, you know, you really ought to eat a little bit better. Or you really ought to start working out again. But you're so that is look. I am going to get in shape in 2012. That's my resolution. So that I can honor God with my body. So that I can live to the to my fullest potential. So that there would be nothing that would be slowing me down from being able to do the things that God wants me to do. For me, as a, as a father, as a son, as a friend, as a husband, you know, whatever those things are, I don't want this body that God has given me slowing me down. And so, you know, if I resolve to do that, it's ultimately so that I can bring glory to God by honoring God with, my, with the body that he's given me so I can live to my fullest potential. So I want you to think about you and your resolution, if, for those of you who have them, Okay. What's the so that that you want to attach to the end of your resolution? It might, for some of you, change some of your resolutions or at least give you a deeper sense of why ultimately you have resolved to do that thing. Now, maybe there are some of you who, like me, I haven't had resolutions actually in a, in a while, uh, in a number of years. Maybe you're just not really inspired to do the whole resolution thing, Okay. It's just not something you do. You don't really feel like it's a big deal if you're going to do it. You would have done, if it was in October, you do it in October. Who cares? It's January 1st, big deal. Some of you guys are thinking that. This is totally irrelevant. Okay? Well, let me just encourage you to do this. Um, this is a great opportunity. To It's January 1st. It's the start of a new year. It's a great opportunity to kind of take stock of this past year. And as we look forward, here's what I want you to do. I just want, I just want to invite a, a radical concept in. Just... Maybe consider inviting God to be a part of that process. Say, God, is there anything that you might have me do in this year? Is there anything that you would like me to do so that I can bring you glory? Is there anything that you want, God? And so uh, what we're going to actually do right now is um, I'm going to ask the music team to come, come forward. Come on up, guys. And um, what they're going to do is they're going to um, give us uh, just a couple of moments right now. They're going to play uh, some, some instrumental music. And we are going to have just, just a couple of minutes to be able to carve out some sacred time. I know our lives are crazy, and, and there's some of you guys who are, like, itching. As soon as I sit down, you're bolting for the doors. Okay, I'm going to ask you not to do that. I'm going to ask you to trust that maybe God might have something to say to you right here this morning. And what we're going to do is as they play, I just want to encourage you to just say, okay, God, you're just, just going to, you know, close your eyes, whatever you need to do, but just, just to reflect. If you have resolutions, to offer those up to God and say, God, how, how do you feel about these? It, what's my so that? Sh- show me ultimately why I'm doing what I'm doing. 
And if maybe you're not inspired at all, you know, just, just at least be open to the fact that maybe God might have something that he wants to say to you this morning so that he would be glorified. Okay? So I'm going to say just a quick word of prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And, uh, and then just for, for the next few moments, just you and God, you and God, uh, just see if God has anything to say to you. Let's pray. Lord God, um, just like you spoke to David about his resolution that he made, uh, Lord, we're asking right now that you would speak to us. God, whether we have resolutions and we're looking for the so that, or whether we don't have any resolutions, God, we just take these next few moments, each of us, individually, personally, with you, and just ask that you would speak to us and guide us if there's anything that you want us to do so that you would be glorified.